Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Caitlin Samuels, a former teacher who turned into a corporate climber while also being a mama bear to three girls under the age of four. Caitlin believes it's possible to lean in at work and raise your babies at the exact same time. In this episode, we talk all about her transition from teaching into various roles in human resources. Hey, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. I would love to start off and just hear kind of your experience working inside education as a teacher. Sure. So I was probably the textbook definition of a teacher. I was a brand new first year teacher. I ended up actually leaving my hometown, moving across the country to North Carolina, getting my first job right out of the gate, um, took over a classroom in January. I graduated in December, so I jumped right into to a classroom. I was so excited. Definitely at the time thought my career would be in education. And truthfully, I loved the actual education part. I loved being with the students, loved my experience as a lead teacher. However, I very quickly realized after being in the role really just that first year that as an employee, I didn't enjoy the experience. So I loved what I was doing with my own work, but I did not enjoy the climate of the school that I was at. I did not enjoy um, what it did to my life outside of teaching, sort of the way that I saw my life going. Uh, my job was going to be an essential component of my life, but it wasn't my whole life. And it felt like um, that was the way things were going. So I initially just switched to a different school thinking, okay, maybe it's the district, maybe it's the grade level I'm teaching, kind of those things that you think about when you look at um, why am I unhappy? Maybe it's just something like that. Um, but very quickly, again, I realized that was not the case. And this was something that my peers were also facing at the same time that I was, that as an employee, we weren't receiving that support, 
um, that level of just quality of life that we were looking for. And so, you know, when you're in a teaching field, I think that's one of the areas that you're expected to put your whole self into your job, which is great. And that's exactly what we do as teachers. But to get nothing back from that job in your own life, that's where the disconnect was for me. I think that that's something that a lot of teachers can resonate with, especially just not feeling like they're able to have a life outside of the classroom. And many teachers go into this as one of their first or second career choices, and they don't realize that there are other ways of living and having work-life balance. For me personally, I was about 27, I think, when I went into the classroom. So I did have careers prior to being in education. And I realized within the first three years, Mm -hmm. okay, well, this isn't me. It's not new teacher jitters. I've never had a job that made me feel this way. And it's such a weird tug of war emotionally because I love education and I love kids, but something isn't clicking with this life, this lifestyle for me. And I definitely think that that's something that a lot of people who are listening right now probably are struggling with. What was really the final call for you where you started to realize that you needed to find something else? So I actually, at the time, like I said, I had moved down to a new state. I was living in a brand new area. So at that point in my life, that's when everything's starting. You're looking to own a home. You're trying to immerse yourself in the community, make friends. I was engaged. We were looking to get married start our life, kind of that next chapter. So after talking with my husband and my then husband um, and our plans for what we wanted, children, what I wanted our life to look like, um, it became very apparent that my career was a damper on all of those things just for me personally because of how it affected my mental health, how it affected the other parts of my life that I wasn't able to nurture because I was spending so much of my effort in the classroom and just dealing with some of the negative things that come with that. For me personally, um, I was spending a lot of my time obviously outside of the classroom putting in hours and hours to the work itself, but then also just emotionally that toll, the hours that I spent dreading things or the hours that I spent feeling worry or anxious or anything like that. Those were just detracting so much from my life. And I knew that I wanted to be a mom. I knew that my husband and I had plans for we want what we wanted our life to look like. And I didn't want my family to always get the last 5%, right? I didn't want every day to be filled so much with all of those other things that they were always getting that last 5% that I had. And I knew that was sort of where I was going. And I was already getting that for myself. If there's not enough time even for my family, then where do I even fit into that piece? So for me, it was really taking a second to step back and say, you know, if I commit to this career, is this what I want for the rest of my life? Is this what I want to go down and, and continue to do? Um, financially, it's not supportive. So you look at the things that, um, you know, if I'm going to continue to do something like this, what are the benefits I'm getting back? Am I being paid well? No. <laughs> Am I receiving a career where I'm growing and I feel like I have the support to learn and continue to raise up in the organization and build my skills? No, that wasn't an opportunity. So different things that I knew for myself 
um, that I wanted to get out of my career long term were not available. And I felt that if I continued down that path, then I was just going to be essentially wasting my time before I made that transition later. So it was really just an opportunity to say, this isn't working what are my next steps? What are the things that I, I need to do now so that when I get to that point in life where I'm choosing to have children or we're trying to buy a home that I feel more comfortable where I am in life? Your very first pivot outside of the classroom was actually working for the school district. Was it the school district that you were currently employed at? Yep. So I just had the conversation at the time with my leaders in the school and told them, that I was interested in pursuing something in a different field. I still at the time wanted to be in education. I wanted to still have that connection to kids and to the classroom and to the teachers. I loved that enrichment of just being part of that world. I really felt a lot of reward personally just from being in education, but I knew I didn't want to be directly responsible for a classroom. I didn't want to be sitting in that seat anymore. So I initially just pivoted to the human resources function within the same district that I was working. And I started in the talent management sector of human resources, which encompasses a lot of things, but a lot of what I focused on was performance management. So similar to what you probably experience as a teacher with your reviews, your classroom observations, things of that nature, I focused on that for the entire district. So not only teacher classroom observations and the ratings and things like that, but also for district level personnel. So principal ratings, superintendents, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, pretty much the whole gamut. And I worked in a fairly large district. So it was a great learning opportunity for me to be able to just see all the moving parts. I think when you're in a classroom, you don't always know what's even out there. There were so many jobs and human resources with peers that I worked with doing things from benefits and learning and coaching that you just don't even realize those are opportunities until you're in that seat. So it was a great transition for me to see how the human resources function worked and all of those moving pieces. Um, that kind of support the teachers in the classroom on a day-to-day -day basis. I heard you mention that you came from a toxic work environment, which is something that I also had happen to me, which was ultimately why I left teaching. Mm -hmm. But what's something that I heard you say right now, which was a little bit interesting, was that you got to give the evaluations or have yeah. a part of the evaluations. Yeah. Did you low-key love evaluating principles? So I... I did. And it was actually <laughs> funny that you say that because I, I had a lot of um, concerns when I was in my classroom, the, the most recent one that I left with my principal with the administration. There was a lot of turnover in the school. There was a lot of issues with the culture just in general. And I, that was one of the things I did when I took over in that position was really looking at it holistically and say, are we doing our best as a district to evaluate everyone in a fair capacity because that was not my experience as a teacher. And so what are the things we need to do now at a district level so that that's not the case for somebody else? It shouldn't feel like as a teacher that you're under this magnifying glass, but that everyone else around you is not held to that when we're all there for the same goal. So yes, <laughs> it is. It, it was an interesting take to be on the other side for sure, but it was something that um, I felt very passionate about at the time that this needed to change. And it was helpful for me 
to sort of use that um, experience I had in a toxic environment as fuel for, well, how can I improve this for the next first year teacher? I don't want somebody else to leave their family to come take this job here just like I did and experience the same level of just not supported, not respected, don't, doesn't have anyone there to provide um, those outlets or those opportunities. And so that was a crucial part of that was being able to see how can we make this change at this level. And you, while you were working as a, um, while you were working at your district, you started out in a role, but did you continue to grow within the district opportunities as well? Yeah, for sure. So it was very evident once I was outside the classroom that the ability to take on new opportunities, to build your skills, to look at new roles, even whether that's lateral movement just to learn a whole new division of something or upward movement if you think about the traditional career ladder, those opportunities were much greater once I was out of the classroom. When you're in the classroom, a lot of times some districts have strong teacher leader programs where you can build your caseload and you can become a stronger lead teacher or you maybe you move into a facilitator role or something of that nature. But there's a lot less room, I think, for those moves and for that personal growth if you've reached a point where you feel that you are strong in the area that you're in. Oftentimes the recommendation is just to move to a different grade level or a different subject, but there isn't a lot for you personally. There's not a level of here, we're going to offer you flexibility or money or opportunities for professional development. They're going to really grow you because it's just not there a lot of times. And so once I had moved into HR, it was very easy to see there were so many opportunities for you to learn so much more than you thought you could. And just even seeing my peers and some of the experiences that they had um, now, even now that I'm in the corporate function, um, seeing how all of that translated was just huge for me to realize that the pathway didn't have to be so short. It didn't have to be, this is it for me. There was a lot more out there. I think that's probably something that a lot of people struggle with and myself personally as well. When I was leaving teaching, I started off my very first role was that of an educational consultant and I went in and I was very open to basically any career just Mm -hmm. because my last work environment was so toxic that I was open for any sort of change but when you're evaluating if this is the right decision for you you're coming from it with such a skewed point of view that Mm -hmm. you don't understand the corporate ladder or all the different opportunities that will open up after that first initial position. So educational consultant, you know, I could have been wishy-washy and really over-evaluating that opportunity and thinking, well, is that what I want to be for the rest of my life? Right, right. But that's not the case. I, I got into educational consulting and then within a few months, I even realized I could go in the direction of creating professional development Mm -hmm. um, online. I could be like there's the head of director and professional development for large education products. There's all these different directions I could go. And that's also what helped me pick instructional design. Mm -hmm. Just looking and seeing all these different opportunities, even roles that I never... um, had heard of before and many of them were being held by former teachers were most of the people working at the school district former teachers as well 
the majority, I would say, or they were either former principals or they had taken some pivot from being in a school building to being in the HR function. Um, some, some HR professionals, but not many. Most of us were people that were just looking for that additional piece of where do we fit in here that we can still be tied to education, but still grow in a different way. And I think what you, what you touched on, which was great, is just the, the way you look at your teaching experience as valuable. I think when I was in the classroom, I had the impression initially that this was it, that I was only qualified and able to teach because that's what I did now. But those skills that you use in the classroom, I mean, you think about the many hats that we wear every day as a teacher. I mean, you're doing an entire day's worth of work and wearing so many different hats. Those things translate very easily into other spaces. And you don't really see that you were already doing that work when you were in the classroom. And now you're just taking that and applying it in a different way, either to adults or you're doing the same types of things, but you're doing it in a corporate setting instead of a nonprofit. And I think that's just a huge gap for teachers is that understanding that those skills you're building and that time you're putting in is not wasted, that you're gaining a lot of experience and you're gaining practice that's going to apply and pivot very easily into something else. I hate generalizing for such a large audience because I don't know everybody's specific situation, but for me, I think where my imposter syndrome and low career self-esteem came in was I looked at all of the skills that I had, but I did not feel as valuable as I actually Mm -hmm. was. And that's because people can give you a candy bar on teacher appreciation day, but the rest of the school year, you know, it's, it's not as obvious that you are appreciated or that you are valuable or that you are treated like a professional. But after spending three years in education, I got probably three years worth of candy bars, but I didn't (laughs) really feel like many people sat down and treated me like a professional or respected me as someone with a degree in the same capacity as they have after I've left the classroom. And I think that's one of the most tragic things about this is if teachers felt more valued and respected by society in general and Mm -hmm. not just a $10 Starbucks card that they get on their, on Valentine's day or (laughs) on teacher's appreciation day, then they would know that they were respected and valued in other positions, or they might not be as inclined to want to leave and pursue other roles. Exactly. And I think, I mean, in my position, I felt very, very well respected and very appreciated by the parents of my students, the people that I was working for every day, the kids themselves and the parents. I I had a positive experience in that sense. For me, it was really as an employee. It was the administration of my building. It was the adults that were responsible for my job. And those were the areas where I just felt that it was an attitude where, you know, this is how it is that I definitely took very hard when I first started was, you know, why, why are we allowing people to be so upset? Why is our turnover rate so high? And the response I always got was, well, that's just how education is. And that's not good enough when you're talking about people's lives. I mean, this is a job. This is something that's enriching a life that we already have. And when it comes to you know, you're exchanging your time for this job, you need to get something back from that. I think a lot of it is dependent on the fact that 
what we do get back from the job is our interactions with students and knowing Mm -hmm. that we're impacting education and we all come in intrinsically motivated. And I think that that also gets taken advantage of, of you need to be kind of a martyr. You need to sacrifice your time. Didn't you see the impact that you sacrificing your time had on the students and just kind of a, a strange, like, um, cycle of teacher mm-hmm. guilt and mm-hmm. pushing yep. people to work underpaid and undervalued. Right. I know that when we were talking earlier before the podcast interview, you mentioned that you are working outside of education now, yep. still in a human resources capacity, but you also said that you noticed a lot of former teachers were in those roles as well. Can we talk a little bit about your new industry? Sure. So I spent about three to four years in the district human resources function before I made the jump to corporate. And now I've been there now for a few years. And like you mentioned, I I really found, I thought I was going to be a fish out of water. I thought I was going to be the one human resources person that came from the classroom and I was going to have to catch up and really figure out what I was doing and gain those foundational skills. And what I came to realize was I my first day out of the gate, a few of my peers introduced themselves. I got to know the team and found out that more than half of them had come from some sort of education field, whether that was a former teacher, whether that was they were a facilitator at one point, maybe they went to school for education and never even went to the classroom and didn't know how to use their degree. So there were many, many people that I worked with that had come and the journeys to get there were so different, right? So, I mean, mine was sort of a slow transition from a classroom to a district position now to a corporate function. Others, they went from, you know, a school district to a nonprofit to another company. Now they landed in this corporate role. And for a lot of people, the journey looked different, but the the goals were the same. They wanted to grow. They wanted to learn. They wanted opportunities to use those skills that they had from education or that background that they had in a way that was fulfilling and still find that that growth that they were seeking. So it's been a great journey to realize how that could look and just the various pathways that you can take to get there. Um, I think for a lot of my peers, some of them even just started as administrative assistants, office managers, things of, you know, where you're just dealing with organization, things that we do all the time as teachers, being organized, planning, making sure everybody is prepared and where they need to be, even things like that. Um, Starting that way in a corporate function and then learning the business. I think for me, that was the biggest hurdle was just learning being in a corporate function. What does that look like compared to being in a public sector? What are the things I need to know How does this business operate? What are the goals of this business? Especially when you think about being in a private sector when a lot of times your goals are financial as opposed to our goals in education being a lot softer, right? So you think about the differences there. That was a big one for me. Well, what drives the people in this company differently than what drives people in education? Those drivers were the key for me in learning how to pivot into a new field. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I feel like you are already like a course member of the teacher career coach course because a couple of the titles that you just mentioned are some that for me when I left education they were off my radar and as Mm -hmm. I started to grow in helping others in this capacity that was something that many people flagged office manager and like executive assistant Mm -hmm. types of roles are some of the best ones for career pivoters specifically very organized detail oriented Mm -hmm. great with um people who are great with their written communication skills and that's something that you can easily look for companies within your area to look for those types of opportunities and many of them don't require additional schooling or certification as long as you're able to present yourself as a professional Yep, correct. We have a lot of people that most of their degrees, if they were in education, they didn't get advanced advanced degrees or anything like that. A lot of people come in either, I would say the top ones are going to be those office administration roles. We had a lot of people come in in the talent acquisition and staffing group. So things like a campus manager, recruiting at different campuses, traveling to universities and recruitment that way. That's very similar to teacher recruitment and things of that nature. So that was an easy pivot for a lot of people. So anything in that talent acquisition space, a lot of people coming in obviously in the learning space. So whether it's training, facilitating course modules, development of courses, leadership development. So things very similar. I mean, right now I, work a lot in leadership development with managers in a corporate function and the skills that I'm teaching them as to how to be a strong leader are very similar to the things that I worked with when I was working with teachers. How to be a strong classroom leader is the same as managing a large group of adults. It's really those soft skills that we're looking at. It's nothing that you need school to do. It's just the experience of being able to take that and apply it to just a different group of people, different different motivators, but the same type of scenario. So a lot of people come in in that space and once you're there, you really learn a lot about, well, maybe I want to try compensation. Maybe I want to go over to benefits. Maybe I'm interested in being in the analytics space because I'm a strong data, you know, we're data driven. Everything is data driven. So maybe that's a pathway. So really, once you get there, the opportunities are endless. That's a wonderful point. And many people looking to get into a company should pursue just getting into the company somewhere where they fit. Because if it's a company that has a lot of job security, you can often pivot into different parts of the company, different departments in the company. Myself, personally, I was on a sales enablement team as the instructional designer. And one of the things that I was really passionate about was I actually wanted to learn more about graphic design. So I was constantly eyeing the marketing department Mm -hmm. and being able to collaborate with them and learn skills on things that I wanted to grow on personally. And that's an opportunity that many teachers are missing 
from their own work environment is that opportunity to have flexibility and be able to ask to do something completely different, but without the stigma of if you're asking to do something different, you're actually just leaving the career altogether. Right, right. It's what makes it difficult about just being in the classroom. I know when I explored, you know, where can I go from here? It was really, you need to get a degree in administration if you want to be a principal, or you can look at changing your subject area or your grade level. And it's very, it's a very limiting feeling to know that, well, those are my two choices is to sign up for quite a large amount of schooling or to really do the same thing I'm doing now, just in a different grade level. For the roles in human resources, I know you said many of the ones don't require certification, such as office manager roles or Mm -hmm. executive assistant. And this is also something that I talk about in the course a lot. Many roles are just looking for transferable experience. However, there are some, like if you're trying to be a CPA, that absolutely you do have to go back to school for. And human resources is one of those kind of weird gray areas where some people can find positions Mm -hmm. very easily without going back to school. And some jobs are going to say, I'm so sorry, you needed a certification for this. And that always goes down to whoever the hiring manager is, whoever's writing the actual job, whatever the company is, it's gonna vary from job to job. With your experience, what insight do you have on the jobs that are more likely to require certification? Sure. So for the most part, I would say um, maybe not as much these executive administrative positions, but most of them do require a bachelor's degree, which for the majority of teachers, that is something we hold. They do not require the bachelor's to be in something related to human resources. So if you have a bachelor's and you've been teaching, that's usually enough in terms of the education requirement to fulfill the majority of human resources functions. I would say it really, for my experience, has just been seniority level that is the difference. So as long as you are coming in at what they would consider more of an entry-level role, so a lot of times you'll see things like coordinator on the job description or analyst, um, things that are going to be more of that entry, you know, you're doing some of the basic analytics for the department. Maybe you're doing more of the coordination of the leaders. So you're the one that's sort of organizing everything behind the scenes. So a lot of those behind the scenes roles, anything that's related to transactional work. So I'm, you know, working with an HR manager initially as um, an analyst, and I'm the one that's doing all of their sort of Excel work, all of their Microsoft work for them, all of the keying in the system when there's things that are changing. So none of that required any additional education, but a lot of it is really, are you targeting the right level of where you're trying to get in when you're looking at a company? Not so much Um, the education that's needed. And then from there, you can say, okay, well, if I know I want to be a senior human resources manager, or I want to be a compensation director, well, now, you know, once you're in there, okay, maybe that's going to require me to take a lower level position in one of those functions and learn how to be a compensation analyst and work my way up to doing that. Um, Most of the people I work with don't even have the HR certifications. It's really not a requirement for the most part, um, depending on the company. So it's a lot more about just getting in the door and finding something that's appropriate. I think the the miscommunication a lot of times or the misunderstanding when it comes to entry level is that money is always tied to that and that's not always the case. So as teachers, we always think, well, I've worked in the classroom 15 years, so I don't want to take an entry level role in a company. 
while a lot of times those entry-level roles, even though it's considered a step back in terms of what you consider the larger career ladder, you're making more money, you're gaining flexibility, and you're learning those skills that you didn't have before. So I think it's just a it's a it's a bad label to think of things as entry level as being I'm going backwards in my career because for me I could have taken various entry level roles in different companies and that was still way more that I was getting as an employee as well as way more that I was learning than when I was still in the classroom. I I feel like I'm just going to keep saying like I absolutely agree with everything <laughs> you say but Honestly, I feel like you have taken the teacher career coach course because many (laughs) of the things that you've talked about, even the looking for the right level of role to Mm -hmm. apply to is something that I teach within the teacher career coach course. I help teachers identify what different experience level they're at and what types of roles are most appropriate because there is also the chance for people to have bias. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, each hiring manager is their own unique person and they all come with their own unique biases. And some of them may see a teacher who has seven years experience. And if they're applying for a role that's looking for something more entry level, they may be more leaning towards looking for someone who only has one to three years experience sure. just based on assumptions of pay necessity or whether or not this person's going to be willing to be managed by someone who has more experience or has less experience in a specific field. There there are chances for bias and for Mm -hmm. people to look at a resume that says 15 years in the classroom and get nervous that you're not going to be able to work under someone who's only worked in their role for three years without you having some sort of pushback. So it's so important for you to be able to identify the levels that are the most Mm -hmm. appropriate for you and also work on the skill sets to bridge the gap so that you are confidently applying for those levels, whether or not they need certification, you're still going to need to build some experience, whether just taking online classes or leveling up your Excel game, but being able to showcase that you are ready for that role and not just coming in with a teacher resume ready to go and saying, I pinky swear I'm ready for this role. You're going to have to show them that you've done the necessary homework Mm -hmm. and you're passionate about this specific role for a reason. And I think too, I mean, when you look at what's out there, I think people get scared a lot of times to even apply. And in my experience, when I was first looking, I would just, I was looking everywhere. I was looking at different companies, different types of companies. And oftentimes I was applying for things that I didn't feel I was qualified for on paper. But once you get into talking with a recruiter or you get to that first interview, you find out that really you are. A lot of those skills apply and a lot of your experiences are very similar to the ones they're asking about. But I think job descriptions in general and job hunting can just be a very difficult challenge when you're trying to figure out what people are really asking for and what kind of things do they want. So really, like you mentioned, researching being prepared and really just going for it, going for ones, even if you don't feel you're qualified. A lot of times you realize that there's there's a lot more you have to offer and there's a lot more opportunities available to you than maybe that first glance um, appeared. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. 
made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Most of it, I think, comes down to teachers not understanding how their skills actually translate, which is something sure. that I've, you know, done yes, a ton of yeah. research on just doing all the translations for them. And one of the ones that I think is probably the funniest just to talk about that is top of mind for me right now is honestly teachers have so much conflict resolution Mm -hmm. experience so human resources probably asks for some experience with conflict resolution and that's you know that's just parent teacher conferences (laughs) yeah like oh i know i know you think about the experiences you have between parents just managing a difficult caseload of children in your classroom i think that was one of the biggest ones that i found too when they were asking about different experiences if you can manage an unruly classroom and get through your day and find ways to find success and prioritize your work and make it to the next day and try again i mean all of those things are things we do all days in human resources and it doesn't mean you have to have that on your resume that says you can do that, but you think about the skills it takes to handle a difficult parent or go into a difficult conversation with a principal. Those are all things that we do every day, and it's an easy transition when you think about being being able to handle the pressure, being able to have those communication skills. So I think if you look at how you how you handle those and how you behave in those scenarios, that's where you can drive some of those ideas around, well, I really am skilled in these certain areas, and here's how it could translate to something else. I'm sure there are probably going to be some people who are listening right now that are going to go on whatever their favorite platform is mm-hmm. to level up their skill sets and they're going to look up human resources 101 trying to find <laughs> courses just on human resources. Sure. Are there a couple of different types of courses that you would refer teachers to? So would it be more development or leadership coaching? What types of what types of uh, courses would you recommend teachers look into? Yeah, I mean, leadership is definitely the biggest one. Learning and leadership development as a whole has probably the easiest entryway in terms of uh, a very transferable area, as well as um, a lot of ongoing professional development opportunities just out there. Um, Anything related to whether it's coaching, leadership development, public speaking, so things where you have to be working with adults and speaking to large groups and just learning how to apply some of those things from the classroom with an adult population. So anything that that entails would be really helpful. I think a lot of, a lot of my peers did take, there are, you know, courses you can take around uh, some of the HR certifications that even if you don't go for the certification, you can take an entry level human resources course to learn some of the basics. For me, all I did was go to Amazon look for a book that was about human resources certification and testing. And I just learned, I took the time outside of work to learn some of the laws and some of the way things came to be. For me, the context of human resources was helpful in the roles that I was taking on, knowing why we had to do things a certain way and why when employees wanted to do this or that, that was, you know, there was implications for that. So some of those things I just learned on my own by taking taking the time to do that. And they offer courses in those as well. So I think there's really unlimited ways that you can you can look for those things and then of course um, for me 
human resources involves a lot of data. So I had already taken quite a few data courses as a teacher around how to analyze data, how to use that in an actionable way. I think any any information or courses you can take around data are very helpful in human resources in general because it's a huge part of most jobs. And if you have an ability to just even take basic data, manipulate it a little bit and understand how to use it, um, which I know as teachers we do all the time, but even just basic numbers, whether that's turnover or satisfaction or just looking at some of that information, all of that is extremely helpful in human resources. There are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who live in um, smaller communities, Mm -hmm. smaller cities. And when it comes to human resources, I've always kind of directed them to look for if there's like a manufacturing Mm -hmm. company or some sort of large plant nearby. They most likely have, you know, customer success teams or human resources teams that might have opportunities for them. This does feel and I'm not an expert in this, so I'd love your input. This does feel like one of the departments that many of the positions would need to be face-to-face on if they have a company that is not currently completely remote. Yeah, so COVID changed things, you know? So I think right now, if you are feeling the need and the desire to look into it, this is the time. There has never been more remote opportunities to jump into something like this than there are now. But you're right, a lot of times it really depends on which function of human resources you're going into. If you are going into what you'd consider a client-facing department, so things like employee relations, things like the HR business partner who's meeting routinely with managers or leaders, Those are things where you do want to be centrally located or you're often traveling between, you know, different locations of the company, meeting with employees. But if you're looking more on the behind the scenes part of human resources, so something like um, talent acquisition is a big one, coordinating interviews, being part of a recruitment team, um, working on preparing for Um, you know, compensation change or benefits analysis. So things like that that are mostly spreadsheet driven or anything like that, those are often very remote and you don't need to be located centrally. So even if you're located in an area where you don't have access to a lot of companies, um, I think it's helpful to, to look at some of those larger, you think about even the consulting firms. So Deloitte, KPMG, some of those huge groups that have large functions, you can often find um, remote entry-level positions that way. Um, and then you're right, similar to that, if you're looking in an area where you want to stay local and you want to be in your area, a lot of times, you know, every company, almost every company, I would argue, has a human resources function. So a lot of it is really just reaching out to them and saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in pivoting to this. Do you have any opportunities learning what businesses are in your area, even local small businesses in your town, nonprofits, churches, it can be really any type of industry. So even if you want to stay in a nonprofit or an education based field, they have human resources functions. So you can look at pivoting into a different district. You could look at pivoting into just the government for your state. There's a lot of human resources that take education people as well. So there's really a lot of those places as long as you are, you don't always look at the surface level of maybe just what's on their job page and you just start making connections with, well, what businesses are here? Because every business depends on human resources to function. 
I'm just floored. Every answer that you give is golden. <laughs> you are so... I mean, you are such a great guest, and I'm so excited that you're here joining us today. I wanted to touch a little bit on something that I know you got into human resources specifically to make sure that you had work-life balance so that you Mm -hmm. could start growing a family with your husband. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in this new role and your experience as a mother in a role? Yeah, for sure. So I went into teaching um, because as I grew up, I always thought that, well, if I know I want to be a mom someday, I knew I wanted to be a working mom. That was something that my mom, my mom was a working mom. It was important to me. um, And I knew that was something that I wanted down the line. But I also knew I wanted a job that allowed me to be a mom, that allowed me that time with my children, that allowed me that work-life balance. My mom didn't always have that. It was something I knew that I was seeking. And so I thought going into education was going to be a great way to have that you get your you get some time off you can work your schedule around your children's schedules and things of that nature and I quickly realized as many of you I'm sure experience um, the workload and that vision of what you think it is is not the same along with just the everyday emotional toll and the guilt that you feel all of those things really impacted that balance even if it's not if you don't look at just the timing but just your state of mind and how that affects your ability to come home and be the person that you want to be when you're home. And so for me, I was very worried when I first moved into human resources. Well, now I'm signing up for a desk job that's eight to five. And now I'm going to miss even more things and I'm going to be locked into this role. And I was shocked and surprisingly happy to learn that if you have that as a mindset, you have a goal to have balance There is a lot of opportunity, especially in the human resources function, but really in a lot of corporate settings, to have flexibility that the classroom does not allow for and to use that to your advantage. Um, Again, it's the whole concept of this is a job. It's a part of your life. It's not your whole life. You are signing up to work there in exchange for something back. So whether that is you're working in an eight to five, but you're being paid very well to accommodate for the fact that you're working so many hours or I don't want to work eight to five. I want my job to be, you know, I know people in my function that work for 10 hour days so that they have a day off with their kids during the week. I know people that do flexible hours where maybe they start at 6 a.m. and they get out at three so that they can get their kids off the bus. Or there's so many other ways that you can look at flexibility and you can look at work-life balance. Whereas in a classroom, as many of you know, you're, you're there with the kids. You have to be there. You can't go to the bathroom when you need to go oftentimes because you have to make sure that you are present and you're available. And you're, you know, when I had to take time off, I was either paying for a sub myself or I was spending hours preparing to take time off. Now I just take the time. It's my time that I was owed. I've earned that PTO and I'm just going to take a day off and I don't owe anybody anything. I don't have to prepare for it. Um, simple things like that were huge for me when I knew if I had a sick kid, I wanted to be able to be there. I didn't want to have to feel like I had to pay out of my pocket to afford to take the day off or figure out what I was going to do to cover my classes in order to be home with my children. And so even before kids, I made all of the, I have kids now, but I didn't at the time. And I knew that I just wanted the, the freedom to choose that. Um, I wanted a full-time job, but I still wanted to know that I had the ability to craft that job around my life because it was only a part of my life. 
And this is something that you're so passionate about that you actually write blogs and have built a community just solely around supporting working mothers. Is that correct? Yes. So I operate a blog on the side because I have so much free time. <laughs> Just kidding. But I have a blog called Freshly Blued Mama, which um, I can I can type it out at the end um, for people to find. But it's I usually um, post about once a week and I've built just a strong network of other working moms through my email group and just some of my social media to really make sure that other people as first-time parents that were working didn't experience what I did. I remember I was a first-time mom still in the education field. Um, I was working in HR and I was so overwhelmed with the idea of going back to work, with the idea of figuring out what this looked like for me as a working parent, having children of my own. Um, and I felt alone. I felt like I didn't have anybody there to really... Um, to talk with, to support me through that. I didn't have resources and it was a hard transition. And so my goal now is really just to connect with other people and look at what's working for you. What's, what are some things that you need? I don't want other people to experience that. And so, so far it's been a great opportunity for me just to meet people even across the country that are in a similar situation, whether they work by choice or whether they work because they have to, that's always, you know, something that we see a lot of times in the world. And you know, what does that look like as you know, you're a mom first, but how do you make sure that you're building that career that you love, you're integrating that and just finding ways to, to, to connect so that people are, they don't feel like they're walking that path for the first time. You know, other people have done it and we want to make it easier for the next person. So that's been a great, similar to your community that you've built with your course. Um, it's great to have a place where, you know, you can go and say, Hey, I just have a question about this. I have a question about my resume. I have a question about meals for the week because I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to, you know, working all day and then trying to feed my family. I just need support. I need support with pumping at work because I don't know what my rights are. And I don't know, you know, when, especially even in, in teaching, that's a huge one. Like what, am, what are my rights? What do I have in terms of time off and maternity leave and all of those things. And so I think just having an outlet for that and a way people can ask their questions in a safe space and learn is just really helpful. We'll link Freshly Brewed Mama actually into today's show notes. It'll be so much easier for everyone to find it. So you don't have to worry about typing it out. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us here today. I know that there are so many teachers who are looking forward to connecting with you and reading everything that you have to say specifically about being a working mom, because you clearly brought so much knowledge to today's conversation. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to speak with us. I really appreciate inviting me and I'm really glad to be a part of your community. I've loved every minute of connecting with other teachers and I think it's really helpful to just have a place like that to see what's out there and see what other people are doing. So thanks so much for having me today and I look forward to continuing to work with everyone. to give a huge thank you to Caitlin for coming on to the Teacher Career Coach podcast and sharing her story with our community. I'll have her blog, Freshly Brewed Mama, linked into this episode's show notes. Until next time, please don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with other educators. Thank you so much for listening.